You're listening to Station F, the podcast. From the world's largest startup campus in Paris. This is Station F, the podcast, and I'm your host, Roxanne Varza. We have a very special guest with us this week. I literally could not be more excited to have her on the show, Patty McCord. She's the former head of talent at Netflix, where she was from 1998 to 2012, having seen the company through a lot of different moments. She's also the person behind some of the famous Netflix ideas, including Unlimited Vacations, and the infamous Netflix culture deck, which is arguably one of the most important HR documents of all time. Hi, Patty. It's great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Roxanne. Well, I wanted to kick it off with obviously a topic you know very much about, the culture deck, uh, which has been called one of the most important documents to ever come out of Silicon Valley. For people listening who might be less familiar with it, can you tell us what it is and why this document became such a big hit? Um, I'll tell you what it is. It what Reed Hastings and I had worked together at another company before Netflix, and we decided the one thing we we're going to do differently at Netflix was we were going to write down things, and we we're going to talk about we we're going to have a document that could explain to people when they joined the company what kind of company we aspired to be and what we wanted to be. So it's a doc, it's a, it's a 170 something page PowerPoint presentation that we used as an internal um, onboarding document. And it took us 10 years to write it. 10 years and that's to write it. 10, 10 years to write it, right? So what we did was we would write down, um, here's the behaviors that we'd like to see in each other, right? These are going to be the, the behaviors that we value. Instead of aspirational values, we said we want honesty and we want good judgment. We want, And then we had a big layoff in the company. We were doing more work with a third of the people in the company and it was more fun. So then we wrote this chapter called High Performance. And what we realized was we had this really dense a group of people that were incredibly talented and really focused. And then once we had those people, we wrote a chapter called Freedom and Responsibility because we realized if we had all these smart people who were acting as adults and were responsible and had good judgment, then we could start taking away the rules and so on and so on and so on. So that's how the deck came to be. And we really, when we hired 10, 15 people, we'd sit in a room with them and go over it. And then one day, this true story, Reed and I are driving to work together because we carpooled. And he said, you know, Patty, I met this woman last night who has this really cool company called SlideShare, and they share PowerPoint presentations online. And I said, oh, God, is that a great idea? I wish I had thought of that. Wonder what people are going to put out there. And he said, I put the deck out today. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and I I said, you did what? <laughs> he said, what's wrong with that? I'm like, oh, God, Reed, it's the ugliest document known to humankind. I don't even think you sponsor the same chapter after chapter. And he said, you never told me that. I'm like, you yeah, know, some things you don't tell your CEO. And I said, secondly, you're going to scare away all of our applicants. And he said, only the ones we don't want. And what was interesting about it was it went viral very quickly and it changed the way we interviewed from that day on. I just think that's it's such an incredible, like not only document, but just story behind it. I'm still just coming to terms with the fact that you said it took 10 years to write. Uh -huh. um, 
I think it's been even 10 years since it came out, maybe more, uh-huh. it's still just as relevant today. It's, in, it's incredible. Yeah, um, we're all writing books about how to do it. Yeah. And, and tell me, so like when it, when it went online, what was yeah. the initial response that you got to it? For the people who were are very logical, um, they loved it. And the thing about it is, if you go back and read it, there's nothing in there that's crazy and radical. It's just the truth. And most companies just don't tell you the truth. They don't say, look, actually, there are certain people and certain behaviors that do better here than at other places. And we certainly didn't write it. I just told you the story. We wrote it for an internal document. We didn't write it to say everybody should run their company that way. We wrote it to say, if you join us, this is how we run our company. So, you know, you should know those things up front. And then I wrote a book and then Reed's just written a book that's published. I know you're having Aaron Meyer on pretty soon to, who wrote Reed's book with him. And those are to tell people, look, here's how we did it, right? Here's, here's how it came about. And you can try and do some of those things too. Yeah. And I think it's inspired a ton of companies and, and we'll get a chance to talk about that as well. But I also just wanted to come back to your your time in the company, because you were there from, when did you start, 1998? Yeah, 97, 14 years. <laughs> you must have seen such an evolution. You know, I, I always say I'm a serial entrepreneur, and I got lucky at Netflix because I had three companies in the time I was there. So the first company I joined at Netflix took about four years, and that was, could we, <laughs> could we come up with a business model that might actually make money before we ran out? <laughs> <laughs> and the, that took a long time. The second company was DVD by mail in the U.S. And the third company was figuring out how to stream most of the technical part about streaming. And then I left the company right as Netflix became an original content producing company. So, you know, I, I got really lucky that those were three different companies, but kind of back to um, what the culture deck and how the culture evolved at Netflix it's because Netflix is a series of very different companies and the teams of people that are really great at each of those phases are different. And so what we wanted to do was just acknowledge that, that, you know, that it, the reality is you don't join a firm and stay there for the rest of your life. I mean, it worked for me because I like, <laughs> I like new startups. So yeah, I think it's incredible the way that you've just described it as three different companies yeah. I think actually a lot of companies probably go through, we call it phases, but it's actually being different entities. Um, and so would you say that the culture actually is completely different uh, during those different periods? Some parts of it are, um, but I think it's more about the way you're structured and the way you communicate is significantly different. So so let me tell you, the, I when I coach startups, I say, look, the first hundred or so people in your company, you want three things from them. You want them to be the smartest people that you can hire for what you can afford. You want them to work very hard because most problems are solved by hard work at the beginning, right? Your whiteboards are full of not that, not that, because you just, you don't know when you're making something up, what's right and what's wrong. And so, and the third part is, you want people to really believe in what you're trying to do because most startups are really kind of stupid ideas, right? If they were obvious, somebody else would be doing them. And so you just work hard and work hard and work hard and work hard. And then if you're successful and you got enough money and the timing's right and your product's great and consumers love you, then 
it's step functional growth, right? Mm -hmm. So you think that it's going to be this nice, long, upward sloping curve, but it's not. It's like stair steps. And all of a sudden, if all those things go right, now your problems are of scale and complexity. Yeah, exactly. A lot of things are going to be upward. (laughs) Yeah. And then you look around at your team and you go, oh, wow, (laughs) we're going to grow a hundred times and nobody here has seen more than 10x. Yeah. Right. Or um, this is really, really complex and this is going to require a lot of different coordination and trust across teams when you have a group of people where everybody knows everything all the time. You can't do that anymore. Right. Or the or I remember this um, startup that I worked with right after I left Netflix and they we had this offsite. We're talking about, you know, getting we didn't what were the issues? We came back and the breakout was, you know, the big issue was communication. The CEO said to me, he goes, I can't believe this is the issue. You know, we have a stand up meeting every single Friday and talk about what's going on. I said, well, first of all, it's always the issue. And it always will be just so you know. (laughs) And second of all, it's too granular. Right. You're, you're saying, and this is the next step and this is the next step and this is the next step. And people want to hear, where are we going? Yeah. The mission and the vision have really become core elements. At, um, so, at one point, right. At some point when you kind of figure it out and you have to make choices. And, you know, I always say that strategy is what you don't do. Right. It's explicitly saying, yes, we could do these five things. We're going to choose to do these two. And yes. so that that gives people, you know, you want everybody to have like five bullet points in their head is like, is it this, 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 or this? And if it's not, then either question it or don't do it. Yeah, I think that's a terrific way to define strategy, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious because I feel like a lot of people must look at Netflix culture and just see unlimited vacations mm-hmm. and the keeper test. And these are some real novel ideas also in the HR sphere. So also walk me through some of these ideas. Where did they come from? How did they come about? Um, Which ones were your favorite? Well, let's do unlimited vacation because that's an easy one for people in the U.S., not as much for people in Europe. But um, we'd gone public and the auditors were crawling around and the lawyers were crawling around and the uh, regulators were looking at all of our policies and procedures. And at the time we had, uh, it was an honor system. You took whatever time you needed off up to whatever, 25 days a year. And you just, we trued you up when you left the companies. Well, the auditors didn't like that because technically we're paying everybody 13 months a year and the regulators didn't like it because it wasn't what everybody else did. And so I was trying to figure out what to do. And Reed came in my room one day and said, wow, you're cranky. I said, yeah, you know, I got to figure out what to do with vacation. I just hate all this stuff. And he said, do you have to have vacation? I said, of course you do. Everybody's got paid vacation. He, I said, you mean legally? I mean, this is the kind of conversation Reed and I would have. He's like, yeah. I'm like, I, I think so. So I go look it up and I can't find any statute or law in California that says you have to pay salaried employees paid time off. So I go to my lawyer and he says, well, yeah, but you have to because I'm like, because everybody would sue us because we're, we do vacation differently. Like a man might get more vacation than a woman and the woman's going to sue. And he said, yeah, I'm like, we already do that. We call it exceptions. 
<laughs> so you, you, I, we're either going to make the rules and I'm going to have a team of people working for me who do nothing but police the exceptions, which is like really not going to make our customers happy. I'm not going to make employees more productive. And so what we did was, and this is pretty classic. Uh, we were small enough, I think, that I stood on a chair and I said, okay, here's the deal. We want you to manage time off locally. I, you know, my team doesn't know what's important to you. And so figure out what your own rhythms are and do what you need to, you know, we're still going to measure what productivity Right. So you're going to have to get as much done as you always got done. Just figure out how to do it. And if it doesn't work out, then we'll just go back to what everybody else does and we'll call it best practice. Everything we did, like created another level of awareness. It's like, oh, well, then a manager's job is to make sure that people know what we need to get done, not how many days they need to be there to do it. Yeah. Right? And I think a lot of companies have caught on to it since. Yeah. So that's one of them. And I mean, a lot of the things that we did, um, we either said, you know, everybody tells us this isn't going to work, but we trust you and we think it might. So let's try it. Right. So it was either A, an experiment or B, once I did a couple of those and they work, I just sort of did this rampage <laughs> through the organization to stop doing stuff that didn't matter. And so I mean, like, what, are, what are other examples of things? Oh, um, having to ask, uh, get approval from somebody in finance to spend more than $10,000, right? Okay, half of my company at this time is PhDs in math. You know, they know what greater than 10000 is. <laughs> it adds no value at all for them to go ask somebody in finance, right? So they're just going to create three $9,000 invoices, right? <laughs> and, and they're going to waste their big brains on doing that. So what I had to do was I had to convince the CFO that instead of having people whose job it was to say no, because if your job is to approve stuff, you get your power from saying no, right? Mm -hmm. And instead take those people or the right people and embed them in the organization so that as we're talking about stuff, they can say, hey, by the way, just want you guys to know, we put in the budget an average individual contributor spend of $10,000 and our run rate's 11.5. Mm -hmm. How you guys want to think about that? Right? Because budgets aren't, budgets are like estimates of what you think you're going to spend. And the truth is, if you, if you guessed wrong, you're going to trade, you know, you're going to make trade-offs for it. That's what budgets are. Right. So then I had to start thinking about budgeting. Right. OK, I had to make sure that people knew that at Netflix, the important thing about budgeting was to come to be realistic, to be right about it. Right. We don't if you came in under, then why did you ask for the money if you didn't need it? And if you need more, you can get more. It just doesn't come from the money tree. Yeah. It comes from somewhere else. Right. And so what we wanted to do was we wanted to as much as we could, which is very, very difficult to do, instill predictability. So, for example, now when I'm on podcasts with big companies, I'm like, yeah, spending January on that five year plan. How'd that work out for you? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I can see it. I can see also like it probably cuts out a lot of unnecessary processes um, and just things that people really, need, as you mentioned, they get around it anyway. They waste. Oh, yeah, time. or you you break processes up into more realistic timeframes. So, for example, um, we all we did an annual um, salary review, but 
every quarter, I would look at a different part of the company where we had done a lot of hiring and say, hey, hmm, if we just hired 20 people in marketing, right, and they're all making more than the people that are here, are they all better or am I punishing the people that are here for being here? Right. Am I creating a system where my best people are going to have to leave to get more money because, you know, the, the market has gone up for some of those positions. And so I started looking at compensation as market based and looking at it more frequently. And if there were issues, you know, if I if found out that the 20 people that I hired were completely differently skilled than the 10 people that were there, then do they still belong? Right. Yeah. So you can see, you just start pulling threads and ask about every process and every procedure, every single one of them. Why do we do this? What's the purpose of it, right? And when the lawyer says it's the law, then you say, show me the statute. I can read English. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. it's almost always to protect yourself from the evil employees that might sue you. Yeah, so it's kind of flipping that that notion on its head and saying, actually, they're not evil employees. <laughs> Trust Back me. in the day when we used to go to work, um, I would say when I addressed a big HR function, I would say, tomorrow I want you to go to work and stand at the door and watch every employee come to work. Just stand there for you know half an hour while people come to work and say to yourself, they're going to sue me. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're not. You're going to be sitting there chatting away with everybody. It's like, so why are you making rules for that? Yeah. And if you and if you spot somebody that you think, you know, they actually might, <laughs> then you should probably sit down with that person and talk about their future. I love it because it's really a philosophy of kind of we're not making these rules for the the rule breakers but we're actually making rules for the rule followers. And so there are no rules. <laughs> well, if you know, my, my fundamental belief is that if you hire adults who are responsible and who love the problems that you hired them to solve, you're kind of home free. So I have to ask this question now, because I imagine there's like so many companies that want to copy what Netflix has done and they get it's obviously take a lot of inspiration from it as well. What advice do you have for those companies? First of all, make sure that your interview and feedback processes, whatever they are, um, enforce the idea of adults who make good decisions, right? So don't hire the brilliant jerk. <laughs> You know, the twit in the interview, you're like, yeah, I know, but he's really smart. Like, you know, but he thinks all women are fools, right? Like, no, don't do that. that. Let that person work somewhere else. And if somebody's behaving inappropriately in the company, talk to them about it right away, right? So constantly give people feedback on what's working and what's not working. So that's my first piece of advice. And my second piece of advice is really what I just told you, which is literally every single day, look at something and say, what's the reason we do that? And why does, and does it work? Right? The annual performance review to give people feedback on their performance. Well, if so, once a year is a really stupid (laughs) rhythm for, for that, right? And if the annual performance review is to pay people for their performance, but you haven't really measured their performance and your budget's so tight that you actually can't keep up with the market, then what's the point of that? 
right? Yeah. So it's just the, and then the other part is, you know, people call it radical honesty, and I'm kind of tired of that. It's like, what's so radical about being honest? Good point. <laughs> Very fair. Can, can we just call it honesty and just be straight with people? So that's why people love the culture deck, because it's just straight talk. Yeah. Right? It's not think, all HRE and management speaky. And and I think also you've probably, you know, I, I want to kind of end on this note because we've talked a lot about Netflix and everything that you've seen and everything that you've built and, you know, how you've seen it play out. But I also want to get your thoughts on the current context, one, because it's changed how people work, mm-hmm. how to think and think and how they function. And where do you think we're going from here with regards to, to culture? Oh, we, um, we have such an opportunity. I mean, you know, I've been gone from Netflix for eight years. And whenever I do a talk, somebody will get, grab me afterwards and go, oh, that's so inspiring. But we can't because we're in Europe, because we're regulated, because we're not tech, because, because, because we, can, we can't, we can't, we can't, we can't. Look at, we all just figured out a new way to work overnight. All of us, right? <laughs> so yes, you can. When forced, so we have a muscle that we all exercised that we had all along and we could have done it, right? So now is an incredible opportunity for us to look at every, you know, if you're in a Zoom meeting with 15 people and only two of them are talking, that's an email. Every every meeting that you used to have in person is not a, a great meeting as a <laughs> as a bunch yeah. of people in squares on the computer, right? I've I've personally found how intimate and wonderful phone calls are. <laughs> you know, it's just oh wow, remember the phone? That was pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. So I, what I'm advising people to do is every day at the end of the day, just write down a sentence or two about what worked and what didn't work today. And then that's it. And then just look at, look for patterns and, and look and look for the people who are doing great work during this time that you might not have noticed before. Right. Because the other thing about now is we literally are all of us measuring output, not input. Very true. That is very true. Well, that is a wonderful point for us to end on because I find it so optimistic um, and also very concrete given the current context. Mm-hmm. Um, Patty, it's been an absolute pleasure having you with us. Thank you so much for, for being part of the podcast. You bet. Thank you for having me. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining us. If you like this episode, make sure to give us many, many stars. And if you have any feedback or if you want to suggest a topic or a speaker, uh, we'd love to hear from you on Twitter or by email at press at stationf.co. And finally, make sure to follow us and not miss out on our next podcast episodes. We're available on all your usual podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, and Google Podcasts. All right. See you soon.